Hello, I am Joe Rycroft. And I'm Adam Hewitt. Welcome to the Exercise Right podcast, the show where we delve deep into the world of exercise, rehabilitation, and wellness. A fun, non drab approach where Adam and I will be talking about all things exercise, physiology, health, and rehabilitation, whilst debunking myths, making some complex science a lot more simple, and giving you some tips and tricks to improve your health and well being. Each week, we will host guest speakers who are experts in their field and hear from you, the listener, to answer any of your questions. Good Hello. evening, Joe. How are we doing? Good evening, Adam. Sporting a lovely Patagonia um, gilet. Gilet. There. Fancy, it's fancy. It's great because I can be Moving up in the world, Rycroft. <laughs> so this podcast, <laughs> podcast sponsorship is coming on good, isn't it? <laughs> well, yeah, I can certainly say yes. that nothing to do with this podcast has, uh, has paid for this gilet. But the it's only, um, just TV cosy. The only way I can afford Patagonia is if I vinted. <laughs> <laughs> no, I love vinted. Me too. I actually, I'm actually addicted. Yeah, I actually got this in. Uh, my brother spotted this in the Manchester Patagonia shop. Had a big clear out. Today, so I was nice. winning half price. Good yeah. spot. Well, makes it marginally affordable. Welcome, guys. We're season five. Season five. Season That's five. Mad. That's isn't mad. it isn't it i feel so, like i feel like season three and four just kind of just happened i don't really know where they went but yeah all it's going well going great and Which, uh we finished off last series with that uh, well just a professional hockey player you know setting us up nicely for season five which is yeah putting the in the, the the stage and the expectation is high but no life is, is good it is and with a new season we've got to ask about some statistics i was gonna say we have a new jingle <laughs> no not yet because oh, i don't know no. about the new jingle no but you know let's have a little uh we've done the, the seasons that have passed so go on, oh ask. yes of course yeah the 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 um tally of the, the tally country that's yeah that was what i was yeah. looking for well we have reached 44 different countries oh getting closer to 50 it's good isn't it getting I, closer to 50 i go i i reiterate that we started this as a exercise right uk podcast i think we might get 10 or so listeners within the uk <laughs> <laughs> it's bad what I, people listen to isn't it <laughs> at no point did i think that someone in india i remember we we were like bragging about our mate in ukraine he was, uh, I think we had one, <laughs> 1% of our listeners from Ukraine. We were like, all right, man, how are you doing? Now we've got Vietnam, Vietnam, we have the Netherlands, Hong Kong, Panama. Amazing. Uh, we know Panama because that's James, isn't it? But uh, Thailand, Barbados, Austria, Israel. You can go so, on. I won't house... say them all because that's not the best podcast. If I did, then that would just be relatively boring. But Not, not great content. <laughs> Yeah, yeah, we'd 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 basically see the listeners and the volume of listeners just drop off drastically. But well, what 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 I hope is that if we've been listening to in that many countries, then hopefully at some point somewhere along the line, someone's been inspired to get moving, maybe yeah. try something a little bit new. Yeah, exactly. I think you know we're getting some good feedback, and life is good. Yeah. We're doing well. Yeah. We and who going. have we got? Who have we got? Today, to kick we, us off for season to kick five. us off for season five, Please. we have Bex Mills, and Bex is a 
triathlon coach. Um, and she has coached, I think, champion Ironman athletes or Iron women. She's also coached <clears throat> Paralympians. Um, has she has and she coached a previous guest of ours, perchance? I believe she might have coached George Peasgood. He's, yeah. he's obviously been on before. So I think it's going to be really exciting to... We've heard a lot from elite athletes mm. who are living and breathing the athlete side of things. Yeah. But like, you know, I think it'd be really good to see you know what it's like on the on the other side of the of the net as such um and, and... I, i'm fascinated because purely as a as a discipline multi multi-discipline being triathlon how do you how do you manage to train all of them at a elite and pro level because it's very mm. difficult i can imagine so yeah, now we're no, excited it's really really good one many a question <laughs> lined up i feel here. i was just about to say i feel like you might lead this one well, like this is right up your street. No, I will again. Okay, you're the you're the you're the coach in all this, aren't you? So we'll see. <laughs> we'll see. Well, guys, no further ado. Well, yeah. Welcome back to season five. Thanks for listening. If you haven't listened from season one, what's wrong with you? Rewind, start again, and then boost our listeners for the first series. But yeah. um, we'll have a great one. Let's kick it off. Let's go. Hello, and welcome to another episode of the Exercise Right UK podcast. Today, we are very lucky to be joined by Bex Mills, who is an endurance coach who specializes in triathlon, um, who, and I believe has coached multiple Paralympic athletes to Commonwealth medals. I'm not sure, I'm sure there's some Olympic appearances in there as well, but probably some Olympic medals. You can tell us a bit more, Bex, in a moment, as well as 70.3 and Ironman triathlon podiums. So, Bex, over to you. Tell us a little bit more about yourself. How did you get into coaching and what's your journey been like so far? <laughs> well, thanks for the intro, guys, and thanks for, for having me on. Um, yeah, my journey into coaching, wow, it's uh, I could probably, probably go quite far back, but I guess um, I initially kind of started in the sport as an, an athlete first, so I was coached uh, as opposed to being the coach. Um, but kind of... Uh, went to uni studied coaching and really that was where my passion lie I was um yeah as an as an athlete I was of a fairly good, decent standard but but nothing that was kind of anything that uh, would see me make a career out of the sport and I'd always loved coaching so yeah I'd say I've been coaching full-time now for about 10 10 years um but I've probably spent an equal amount of time previous to to becoming a full-time coach where I was volunteering and teaching and doing all kinds of random things that I'm sure some would argue isn't, isn't coaching or is coaching, but it, it all culminated in the, in the same thing. Um, and then I, I basically, my first full-time role was actually a coaching apprenticeship uh, role with uh, Triathlon Scotland, which I was extremely thankful for because at the time that I was looking to get into coaching, and it's still similar now in many respects. There aren't that many full-time jobs and it's not that easy to get into and, and especially make a career out of. So the the apprenticeship that I, I did with Triathlon Scotland was uh, something called Athlete to Coach. So it was a scheme to try and encourage retiring athletes um, into coaching um, in, a, in a high performance environment. So... I spent a couple of years doing that apprenticeship and managed to secure a full-time role at the end of it, um, which uh, allowed me to work very much in the pathway of the draft legal side of the sport. So triathlon's got lots of different 
um, variations within it. Um, but I work very much on the pathway, draft legal, Olympic distance racing. Um, and yeah, like I say, I ended up working full time there for five years and kind of progressed through the ranks to be head coach in, in Scotland and head coach of the Commonwealth Games team for the 2018 uh, Gold Coast Commonwealth Games. Um, and then after that, made a switch into para triathlon, which is another area and avenue of the sport, um, which was fantastic. And I worked um, with the with the British squad in Loughborough, so world class program athletes um, who were all gearing towards Tokyo. Uh, and I started working in that role. I think it was eighteen months out from Tokyo, so it was a big kind of get in, get to know the athletes. And by the way, we've got Paralympic Games. Um, and then obviously COVID hit, which which gave me another year of breathing space with working with those athletes, um, but also came with its challenges. Um, and then I kind of got to the end of uh, the Paralympic Games, which is in 2021, um, had a year of, of, of kind of basically deciding what to do next, because I think it's worth noting that alongside my coaching career and, and the progression of that, my partner, Nikki, who is also a professional athlete and long distance athlete, her career has kind of progressed as well. And it it bo it reached a tipping point really after Tokyo where we needed to make some decisions around how we prioritize what we did. And, um, and so uh, I did another year working in my role and uh, led the team to um, the Commonwealth Games in Birmingham. Um, and was head coach for the England team alongside Reese Davies doing that. And then um, I decided to leave federation coaching and go into um, kind of professional uh, coaching with a with a mixture of professional long distance athletes and, and age group athletes. And I've been doing that for a year now, which has been, you know, in some ways very different, but in some ways, you know, it, it's an extension and, and an evolution of what I've already been doing. And yeah, I just feel very thankful that I've been able to make a career out of coaching so far. <laughs> As a brilliant, brilliant journey. And uh, I think you've obviously got to meet and work with quite a contrast of different athletes. I'm quite interested to hear if, if now you're you're kind of you've got your own coaching business and you're you're coaching professionals full time. Does that look much different to to coaching people in within that kind of British triathlon setup? I, I'd say uh, to a large extent, it's based on the same principles, but there are some some fundamental differences, both both good and and challenging. I'd say um, the obvious one is that when you're working for a federation, you have the support of of that federation, and you know you're working as a member of a team of people that are all working towards very defined Olympic and Paralympic cycles, and so it's really easy in that setting for the direction to be set and the priority to be set. Um, and with that athletes are funded and they're in, um, you know, they have a large degree of support. Obviously with um, the professional athletes that I work with at the moment, they, they're predominantly in the long distance side of the sport where that same structure doesn't exist. And so they are um, entirely reliant on sponsorship, prize money, et cetera, et cetera. And for some, you know, a, you know, a, a good proportion of athletes, they they make a living out of that, and that's, um, you know, that's that's great. But the gulf between 
those you know professional athletes and and trying to make it is huge and and I work with a lot of developing athletes trying to make a career out of it and so they're certainly not in a position where they have anywhere near the support that you would you would have in a federation and it's very kind of you know they have to pave their way um and we work together on shoestring budgets a lot of the time to to try and make it work and I think that brings something very different and very tenacious from the athlete standpoint. And they're also choosing you to coach them, which again is a difference from the Federation. You know, if you're in a role in the Federation, the athletes, you know, uh, for the most part are coached by you because of the role you're in. Whereas when you're working privately, they're choosing you, which, um, which I think is also, I've also found really good and it creates a level of buy-in and trust, which, perhaps doesn't exist in the in the federation roles that's I think that's a really important point and Adam and I I guess coach on a different level in terms of with, with clients with different health conditions but I think the building that rapport with an individual is certainly one of the most special parts of our jobs and I can see how that's uh, something that you know you really resonate with um in terms of athletes getting from you, you talk about that um kind of like no man's land i guess in between amateur and potentially them being able to do a full-time job and work and then getting over to that pro barrier what do you think is the kind of key differences to what those that make that jump and those that perhaps um don't don't get there well that's a big question i think there's a there's a lot wrapped up in that um like i i think i'm a firm believer that that genetics contribute a lot and and so there is like it, it may sound fairly obvious but that that those that make it generally have the the kind of physical potential to do so and as harsh as it may sound like professional sports not fair and as as much as you may want to be a professional athlete not everybody is is necessarily capable of that and that's that's pretty hard to hear that being said i think circumstance is huge the ability to set yourself up for not just one year training in a certain way but years training like committing yourself to you know prioritizing training is key and I see a lot of athletes that kind of go oh this is my make or break year you know I'm going to give one year and if I make if I make it at the end of it then then that's me set and I haven't really seen many if any examples where that works and so I think athletes that are understanding of that and set themselves up with part-time work or an income stream that affords them the um the time just to develop is is really is really key um and then I think the other bit is like racing being able to race and get the best out of yourself is um is is absolutely fundamental because it I think the that when you're kind of when you're physically in the right place to deliver results then being able to deliver them is 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 key in bridging that gap from amateur to pro and if you can do those things if you can set yourself up in the right environment and give yourself time um, and have the physical ability that's what gives you the best shot at it really um but it's not easy <laughs> and i mean I, I i completely agree with you i think it's it's there's so many variables in in that and some in are controllable variables some potentially aren't 
Um, you being a coach and obviously clearly a very good coach, what key variables do you put to practice in your exercise description, your exercise programming? Uh, and a very global question, but what's your approach when it comes to working with athletes? And do you have a, I guess, a, not a protocol as such, but do you have a particular way of screening, going into right, this is going to be my method, as it were, and then you're going to obviously change it as per when you get closer to events? Yeah, I think I think generally, whether amateur or professional, my approach is fairly similar from, from the outset, and that's very much kind of over to the athlete. Like, you tell me what you're wanting to, to do, wanting to achieve and work towards. And I think that's really important um, because understanding an athlete's why is 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 absolutely critical because that's the thing that's going to get them up out of bed in the morning when when they don't want to um and i then like once that once they've kind of shared their ambition i then look at okay well where are the what's the gap from where you are now to what you're trying to do um where are the areas of um kind of most resistance and least resistance to closing that gap so what what do we need to work on and where do your strengths lie effectively um and my my job at that point becomes building building the plan to support support those goals um or having the conversation of maybe we need to look at the goals that you're setting so you know sometimes um but yeah it's very much around like what's what's the gap and then using my my experience in the sport to to say look this this could be longer than you think or it may be shorter than you think um and outlining just the the route basically to to success, and then then the detail of the planning, like literally how that informs each day to day session. Um, it's it's not particularly complex. It's it's you know just breaking it down into manageable chunks um, that that are informed day to day, so that the, the the gold standard for me is that there's no doubt in any athlete's mind what you know when they go to do a session that one session of I don't know, 12 in a week, they understand the purpose behind it and how that contributes to the goal that, that, that they're trying to achieve. Um, and I think then there's also the, the the piece around understanding the athlete and what they're saying to you versus what they're showing you and um, what, yeah, how, how they, how they operate and what's important to them. I think I'm, I, I very much try to work in a way that flexes to the athletes rather than expecting the athlete to flex to me and, and my way of operating. And um, I think that's, that's, that's allowed me to work in a variety of different environments over the years. Um, so yeah, I think they're, they're the pretty much, pretty much the fundamental things for me. What an answer. I think that's, I love that in that you've gone from, it's not just like the exercise program. You're like that's almost like the easy bit. Your approach is why? Why is that athlete wanting to be there and understanding the why and then going from there? Do you think that's common practice in coaching, or do you think that's needed more? Because I think it. You know, I believe very much in the why, and I believe that understanding people's want and their actual goals away from going this is what we're going to do to be able to achieve it is, is the origins of how we're going to get there. Um, but do you think that's common practice in coaching? Cause I, I personally feel like it's not enough. And I feel that the 
coaches that get the best out of their players or their athletes and maybe the athletes that stick with those particular coaches due to that relationship maybe sway towards the why aspect yeah it's it's an interesting question and if i'm honest it's probably not one that i that i've pondered much before because uh, i i yeah i think um i think the the people that have long lasting relationships with their athletes are, are probably definitely doing that because i think like to me the measure of great coaching is in the length that your work length of time that you're able to work with an athlete and deliver the goals that Absolutely. you've agreed together yeah um so i think that that does that that obviously does happen how frequently i i, I don't know um i think people are complex aren't they <laughs> like understanding someone's why and especially really, athletes <laughs> absolutely yeah i think it's it's a minefield at the best of times and i think people get into coaching for for a variety of different reasons i i think i probably have or i do have a very holistic approach to coaching but that doesn't work for everybody and some coaches i'd say i definitely sit in the gray area of coaching in that i'm i'm not beholden to one single approach i'll i'll kind of consider a, a huge amount of variables but equally i know some really successful coaches that are look this is my way my method you subscribe to it and we'll get where we're going and that works too um it's just an athlete i think the fundamental bit is athletes understanding what they need from a coach and you as a coach understanding what you can give to athletes and where there's there's harmony between those two things is where the best kind of practices happen um but yeah it's not easy people are complex <laughs> They definitely are complex, that's for sure. So one question that I think both Adam and I are very keen to ask is we've we've spoken to a lot of people who either compete or coach single disciplines, whereas you've got athletes that you're trying to get, you know, great in three separate disciplines, all that are, you know, very, very different in terms of, um, I guess, well, some differences and some similarities in terms of demand. Um, and if you look at some of, I know some of the athletes that you've probably coached and you look at other successful triathletes, they can also hold their own in, you know, elite races of those single disciplines on their own. So how do you get someone that good at, at three at, at once? What What's the <laughs> secret? Uh, yeah, I mean, um, I think there's definitely an element of the athlete, like what skill set they're bringing. And I think typically very good triathletes are really good at absorbing training volume because it's an endurance sport you know you're competing in a sprint distance for an hour olympic two half ironman four you know so it, it's an endurance sport so people like athletes that are good tend to be able to absorb training load they know them like tend to know themselves really well um I think like the three component parts, I think typically you you have athletes that either have like a super strength. You take someone like an Alex Yee that could turn up in any running race and be yeah, a formidable force within it. But equally, he's he's um, yeah, he's a contender for the gold medal next year. Like you, you either have athletes that are a, a, a super strength um, 
or they're they're what I would term as like complete triathletes. So they're they're kind of great across all three disciplines, and that's that's very much down to the skill set that they they bring. And your your job as a coach is to understand what that skill set is, and and then kind of develop it so that that it has as minimal weakness as possible, but but really emphasize kind of the the, the strength in in what they have as in that skill set. Uh, but it's a really complex sport. Like it's not easy to do, and each discipline takes away from an, from one aspect of another discipline. I think I very much like triathlon is a sport of compromise. Like if you're searching perfection for perfection, you're not you're not going to find it because you're constantly taking away from one to give to another. To yeah, and and how you. Uh, yeah, how you the flexibility you need from a swimming standpoint isn't great from a running. You know, you're constantly compromising, and it's how you um how you deal with that and understand yourself within that that's that's key. My um, you mentioned Alex Yee. My friend was actually Alex Yee's um, te- PE teacher, oh, yeah. um, and uh, I just mentioned I was like, did you know he was like levels above everybody else? And he was like, it was you couldn't miss it basically it was he was just that good at that age and you talk about the you know the physical attributes but also he said just mentally he was just built differently um very humble with it apparently i've never met alex but you know, it was just like he was just built differently the way he thought way he was able like you said to deal with the volume of pressures of everything uh we used to have we had um gabrielle suva on the last series and uh, she's a pro uh, triathlete in over in uh, Florida. And she was just saying, like, the volume of training she was doing was was really quite phenomenal. Um, and it blew our brains when we, she was talking about her exercise programming. How do you as a coach manage that volume? Because you're prescribing high levels, but also obviously trying to prevent injury all at the same time. Yeah, it's um, it's going to sound very boring, but it, it yeah, it, it's definitely get it like knowing the athlete and and yes triathlon's a high volume sport and i would argue that anybody doing it professionally needs to be committing at least 20 hours a week to to do it but not everybody is a high volume athlete like, and i know 20 hours sounds like a lot and it is a lot but um but yeah not everybody can tolerate volume not everybody needs like some people i work with an athlete at the moment that responds so quickly to a training stimulus like i i've not really come across many athletes like that and so for for her it's it's actually like keeping her out of trouble and then dialing the training up when when she needs it uh whereas i, I equally the more common um athletes that I work with like need a good hit of training stimulus and need that consistency of volume behind them to um to kind of really develop their engine um but yeah it it, t- it takes time and patience and progressive planning you know you're not you're not going to jump in there with you know if, if you're an athlete that's um there's kind of a development stage and ticking off between 12 and 15 hours a week, you're going to need another four years before you can, you can even, you know, look at increasing to anywhere near what would be a professional athlete's level. Um, typically in triathlon, people tend to break down around running because it's, it's weight bearing and it's where you, where you tend to pick up the most niggles. Um, 
see, yeah, I I would always say as a general rule of thumb, we're managing run frequency and volume against fatigue. Um, but yeah, I, I think the other bit is is rest. Like you you have to create opportunity to recover, and that's the the athletes that have greatest levels of longevity in the sport are the ones that that do that time and time again, whether they think they need it or not, and are not afraid to lose fitness to gain it again. I think that's the yeah the the key really is is um is knowing yeah knowing when you need to recover and programming that that in um but yeah it's it is a high volume sport you can't escape it <laughs> it's it's very interesting you said there about the transition i guess from someone amateur or you know um non professional athlete branching into the professional measures of the longer distance stuff and do you think there's a lot of um i guess like amateurs out there maybe some might be listening and they're they're looking to target let's say an Ironman or a half Ironman. their current training volume is very low and they think they just need to dive into hours and hours and hours of training it's something that i'm sure you must see or hear of but if you've got any advice for for amateurs listening and they they're wanting to build up towards these longer distance events but they're not quite sure how to manage that increase in the training load. What are some kind of simple top tips? I think, um, I, I, yeah, I, I, the, the first bit is try and find a baseline of like on a, on a given week with work, family, everything else that's going on try and find a baseline of what, what is manageable and you can tick off. If I said, you know, you've got to tick that off for the next 20 weeks, you could do it. And that's, that's kind of the, 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 the place to start and yeah if you're aiming for, you know if you're aiming for an Ironman in six months time your kind of critical window working back from that is the 12 weeks leading in so you just had like the, the priority would be get yourself in a place where you're you're pretty fit you're in it you can you can uh, step up to the training volume that's needed for those 12 weeks without too much risk of injury and you're in a fresh, healthy place to take that on. Um, I think like, yeah, it's it's not, the biggest mistake I see people make is A, they train too hard all the time. So they go, oh, I'm really crunched for time. I've only got nine hours I can dedicate to training. Therefore it all needs to be hard. And actually um, if you just trained nine hours aerobically, you'd be in a far better place than if you were to train nine hours of intensity um intensity may work for a short period of time but it, it doesn't work in the long run uh and it, you just end up knackered so i'd say like understand what needs to be hard what needs to be easy um and really uh like really listen like listen to yourself listen to your body and i think a lot of people or a lot of athletes, amateur athletes that I see, they'll wake up and if they were like really honest with themselves, they'd know it's not appropriate to train that day or to adjust like their training plan because they're tired or they've had a bad night's sleep or whatever. And the majority of people will just go, oh, it oh, doesn't matter. My training plan says this, I'm going to go out and do it. Um, and I'd say that's that's very common. Um, yeah, but the reality is if you can really be good at listening to yourself and giving yourself a break when you need it and then kind of training when you're good to go, you're in a healthy, healthy state, then 
that's where you're going to get the most out of yourself and the most longevity. Um, See, so, yeah, I think, I think um, I've, pro I've probably rambled on there, but they're, they're kind of the key components, I would say. It's really interesting you say about listening to your body because you almost, there's a, such a fine balance, isn't there? Because you must work with, and surely Joe and I have worked with people that mentally maybe they aren't motivated enough to do it. So you need to almost, they need to do those workouts that and the exercise plans that they potentially don't really want to do. And then differentiating that between listen to your body and actually appreciate the rest is really good. It's such a conflicting message for somebody to <laughs> almost know what their body's telling them to do. How do you go about managing that? Because that is, you know, I think there, right in that particular grey area is sometimes where pro makes pro mm. and maybe people fall short. Yeah, it's, it's a really good point. And I, I think... I speak from that perspective because I'd say the majority of people doing triathlon motivation is not, is not the struggle. You know, if you're committing a lot of money, you're investing in coaching and you're committing to something like an Ironman on the whole, you're coming from a place which is highly motivated. That's true. Um, but you, <laughs> you do get, and I do, you know, I have worked with and do work with athletes where um, you kind of figure out pretty quickly that, that they need, um, more of a kick up the backside than they do kind of pulling back. And I think at that point, that's why from the outset, understanding the goals is really important because I think if you've reached, an, you know, if you, you're agreeing, look, this is, this is the goal that we're working towards. And then somebody is, you know, skipping sessions because of X, Y, and Z, and that becomes a consistent theme and it becomes, you know, a bit too easy to make excuses. I think you you know pretty quickly from yourself as an athlete, but also from a coaching standpoint, you know pretty quickly when that's that's the case. Then I very much see that as my role to kind of just just you know just point out the obvious. Look, you, you've said you've wanted to do this. This is what I'm pres prescribing based on that. You're now not consistently doing it. Why? Like why? Why is that? What's driving that? And I think that that's for me why the why of what you're doing is so important because so many people get caught up in, I just want to run a really fast marathon time. Well, for some that may not be enough, but for a lot, but sorry, for some that may be enough, just the carrot of running a quick marathon time may be enough, but for a lot of people that's not. You have to, you have to like really have thought through why you want to put yourself through endurance training because it's brutal. And it takes a lot of energy and a lot of time. Um, and yeah, I think my general go-to is is really pushing people on that. Now, how do you, do you find that your coaching approach can turn potentially those troughs in motivation around? Or do you think that sometimes the mindset is uncoachable? I would say both. I've I've probably experienced yeah. both, to be honest. Like there's I think as adults, generally speaking, you tend not to have just like honest conversations. And I think that like I have um been in positions where, yeah, I've had that honest conversation and called out um, you know, someone not consistently training or prioritizing other things, and that has led to 
do you know what? You're right. I, I, I'm on it. But it, it sometimes leads to actually, do you know what? You're right. And I don't know why I'm doing this and I need to take some time out. And both both are okay. Like fundamentally, like, yeah, that's that's absolutely fine. Um, but yeah, I think it's, I, I, would, I would never kind of avoid a conversation of that nature because I think they're the really important ones. And it, you know, going into them that that's going to be a 50-50. It's either going to, Kind of, kind of give the kick up the arse and, and move them in the right direction, always going to lead them to a place where they realise actually that they don't quite know why they're doing what they're doing. Um, but I think I've, I've got a fairly optimistic outlook on that in that there's, there's kind of benefit in both and success in both. Um, I guess that's what you were there to do. You're, you're a coach to make an impact and you need, you've got to take a chance on those 50-50s to make an impact happen otherwise you're just kind of being pedestrian and that's not what a coach does yeah absolutely yeah 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 for sure but slightly slightly less heavy heavy question now Bex. do you do you have a, a favorite of the three disciplines for either you you to do yourself or to coach is there is the one that you find most interesting um like to do myself I love running and and that's um that's kind of something I do most days without fail not necessarily because I'm training for anything specifically which probably sounds quite ironic from a coach but I just love to to get out and run I think the bit I love most is actually like blending the three disciplines together so I wouldn't say there's one discipline as such but when you when you kind of get a feel for an athlete and you're into the groove of a training structure and the three disciplines are complementing each other well and they're progressing in the areas that they need to be progressing in that's that's what I love the most um and I I, I do enjoy seeing athletes in whether it be camp environments or face-to-face because I think you get a lot more from from them in that setting um but yeah, I I did I love I love the complex nature of triathlon and um, that compromise element like it for some reason is really appealing. <laughs> I'm sure your your job takes you around the world into different places, potentially sunnier climbs. How does it? How do I guess like blocks of training in camp environments compare to um, the kind of day to day training that athletes would would do uh, at home? So for the for the most part, like I'd say now that looks quite quite different because of the way in which my coaching is is set up. So when I'm at home, for the most part, I'm not seeing people face to face. And so my coaching practice is very reliant upon athletes feeding back to me and analyzing data, basically. Um when I'm in a camp environment, their training structure for the most part doesn't change a huge amount. Um, but what changes is that day-to-day interaction and my ability to visually see what they're doing. Um, and yeah, at this time of year to be a bit more consistently riding outside and running outside and not be compromised so much by daylight or weather and, and that type of stuff, which, um, which is important as well. But yeah, I tend to, the training structure side of things tends to, to stay fairly similar because, it's not so much, I think there is a place 
perhaps more for amateur athletes where you go on a training camp and you beast yourself for a week and then you come back and you can get a real good hit and stimulus out of that if it's structured in the right way. Um, but I tend to like with the professional athletes that I coach, it, it tends to be kind of just a training relocation rather than like a, a beast yourself for, for a couple of weeks. And changing tack slightly, but a lot of what our audience would be coaches alike and um, or people wanting to get into coaching. You mentioned about how difficult it is to find that as a full-time profession and also, you know, forge a career out of it. But what key bit of advice would you give to people listening and or avenues would you recommend for people to get into coaching and top like top flight coaching? Um yeah, it's a good question. I think I think um the the first bit is like coaching face to face is really critical in my in my opinion and whilst i spend the majority of my time coaching online now i wouldn't be able to do that without the decade behind me of seeing people face to face day to day working with a variety of athletes and i think that like those environments exist all over the country you only have to go down to your local uh you know triathlon club run club swim club whatever to to be able to kind of access that and it may rely on you volunteering initially, but I think if you're purposeful with your intent of if that's something you want to do on a permanent basis and you're committed and enthusiastic and willing to to learn, then then generally opportunities open up for you. Um, I think if it's performance coaching specifically that you're looking to get into, then my like my first bit of advice would go be go to like a regional academy which is kind of the first level of the performance pathway uh within triathlon uh and they they're like a self-explanatory they're based in each region of the uk and that's where you're gonna meet uh the athletes that will populate the pathway possibly the olympics one day um and the coaches that are supporting them to do that and and like from a practical sense, that's that's where I would go because that will that will open doors to to other opportunities. Um, from a perhaps more of a holistic sense, my experience, particularly with females, actually in coaching, is that a lot of people feel that they're not good enough or that the the kind of um, the performance side of coaching is something entirely different to, to club coaching and that there's a big knowledge gap or they don't have the skills or experience or expertise. And yeah, it, whilst I'm not saying that that, there's not, that doesn't exist, but I don't think it's anywhere near as much as what people think that gap is. And actually a lot of the practices that you'll see at your local tri-club are very similar to the practices you would see in a high-performance environment. Um and I think if you, yeah, if you can find the courage to just have a go, just literally try it, uh, then, yeah, I, those 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 barriers perhaps aren't as big as what you what you think you might they might be from the outset. Do you think there's a a big difference in the number of female coaches to male coaches in triathlon? Yeah, there is. <laughs> yeah. yeah, straight. Um, <laughs> yeah, I think. If I think back to that first job that I took, um, 
I yeah, I was I was the pretty much I think at the time I was the only full-time female coach in the country. Wow. Working in a high performance environment. Wow. Um, and that's yeah that that has begun to change over the years um but there's definitely a big a big gap between yes females and males so how did you go about that I mean how did you was it an elbows out approach (laughs) getting you you know making yourself heard or was it just a case of going I'm not going to make a big deal of this of the gender gap here and I'm just going to let my performances and my you know, what I do lead the way. Yeah, I think um at that at that point I would I would have been probably like 24, something like that. And I you know, I didn't ever to say I didn't notice it would be incorrect, but it it didn't it wasn't something which was a a factor for me, if you like, I think because I was so passionate about coaching and the sport and on, and on reflection, actually really confident in, in lots of respects about what I knew and and also what I didn't know and what I wanted to do, that it never really bothered me that I was in male dominated environments. And I never really like, you know, those environments always showed me respect and, and, allowed me to voice my opinion and give me opportunity and so I never kind of felt in the minority there's only a few occasions where I was maybe you know walking into rooms where there's it's it's slightly removed from the sport and you're into kind of like um uh what's if uh, institute setting you know sports institute settings and things like that where I felt a bit more intimidated or perhaps I was like going to conferences with uh, within the wider space of British triathlon and um and yeah it was it was in the minority but yeah I never I'd say I didn't really feel intimidated by that um but that that was that's not to say that that isn't an intimidating environment to walk into because it is and I think on balance the 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 lack of equality um not equality the lack of diversity within coaching as a whole to be honest like it the sport is very white middle class and um and i think that that is a um yeah is it is a is a limiter on the athlete like how how you you develop and coach athletes i think having different voices in the room from different backgrounds um is massively important and beneficial to to everyone um so yeah, like longer term, I'd love to see the sport grow in its diversity because I think it really lacks it. Well, it's, yeah, it's interesting because we, you know, um, Rebecca Robinson and something we had on before just made a really clear point that due to coaching being really male dominated, generally speaking, the exercise tradition is from a male perspective, mm. and I, 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 I'm male, and actually, it's so stupid that I hadn't even thought of that. Yeah, and it's not. I would suggest potentially that it's not been that it's not been it's it's been dismissed as not important. It's been that potentially because you know, we didn't have a menstrual cycle for one, and we're going well. Oh, well, how can we consider this if we don't have it? And the I had never really thought about the fact that coaches will coach females 
I've always thought I'm a very empathetic coach and I've always generally coached probably a higher population of females and males, but has my exercise programming ever considered everything that comes into complexity of being a female? Absolutely not. Mm. You know, and that's a huge failing on my side. But if we look at you now being the only female in that particular period, it just shows how many other missed opportunities there are. Yeah, absolutely. And I think it's 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 um it's not about like I don't think it's by like malicious intent that that's been the case. It's just just a product of the environments that that have kind of happened and the lack of, I guess, quest- questioning that and um and purposefulness around the intent of building environments. And you know, even when you talk about like if you went into a high performance like if you literally went down to the pool and and observed a, a coaching session then that even the lane structures are set up by speed order and so for the most part that that like the fastest lane is is full of males and then the next lane down you may get one female that's at the standout female swimmer in that squad but then the majority of people in that lane are males and then you the, the further down you go you get more and more females and so even from like a a socialization perspective and and how that's set up it it's you know it's very male dominated it's dominated one end of the pool and not at the other um but yeah I, th- I think the 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 more kind of open-minded and the more aware people are of those of those settings and those things and and just be being prepared to think differently and structure things differently and yeah I I think that can only be only be a good thing um it's it's crazy when i think back to even me applying for to work in para sport like i hadn't coached a disabled athlete before applying for that job and i got it with no disabled experience and that's um like being really honest that's because we hadn't uh, we, we still don't have um any disabled coaches coaching within within the country within you know within triathlon really um and people you know gaining experience is hard to do because it's you know inclusivity from a disability standpoint is not brilliant um and so how you develop coaches to be able to coach across the breadth of the sport i think is still something which isn't really um <clears throat> prioritized enough i think there's a lot more that could be done so that it doesn't matter what what athlete you've got coming in in front of you 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 feel comfortable from a coaching standpoint to coach them and and know that that you can approach that in the right way. I think a, a lot of the time it's about you know also having the role models for people to see that they can put themselves in that environment or you know mm. um, I don't know if there's athletes that perhaps you've coached once upon a time that will hopefully come through the system and return to elite sport as coaches in that kind of um, environment, but. Hopefully there's some people listening and it'll, you know, get them thinking and, you know, inspire them to perhaps think about things a little bit differently to what they have done before. I thought that was you know, very well explained and said. So, yeah, I hope so. I hope so. I think, I think yeah. sorry, just to, and I think that's, that hap, has is happening and has happened. Like you look at Non Stanford who, you know, retired from her professional career as a triathlete and went straight, you know, straight into coaching and coaching full time. Um and I think that's that's only that can only be a positive thing. And to see more people and athletes doing that, I think, um, yeah, I think will be a, a huge benefit in the long run to to the coaching and, and athlete environments. So, 
rounding up, Bex, we've got a little bit of a closing tradition on this podcast. Um, I'm not sure if you're a music fan or you, you, you listen to music, but if you had to pick one song to kind of represent you as a coach, what would it be? <laughs> Put you on the spot. <laughs> that is putting me on the spot. Um, well, I'm a big Beyonce fan, to be yes. honest. <laughs> oh, Talk, talking about inspiring females. <laughs> Yeah, 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 yeah. absolutely. Yeah. Uh, uh, the uh, run, run. Is it run the world? Yeah. Beyonce song. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, I think that's very fitting. That it's that can uh, that can go. Uh, yeah, definitely. Brilliant. <laughs> right. Well, thank, thank you. Thank uh, Thank you so much. Honestly, I told you, didn't I? Always ask. Um, I think we've covered a huge amount of topics there in such a small amount of time i genuinely love to have you back on i think there's so much we can talk about and you know maybe you get some feedback from listeners and we see where their next episode will take us but no genuinely thank you so much that's been um a real eye-opener and i think anyone listening is going to be inspired but also understand approaches understand the importance of understanding why's and then you go into the further field of, of gender equality so brilliant <laughs> yeah. yeah no thanks for your time guys i've really enjoyed it oh, brilliant oh i've just done a my, my zoom just did a thumbs up thing is that new mine won't do it <laughs> for, for the podcast listeners joe is now doing frantic thumbs up to try and make it happen no. oh now it's gone gone forever now gone. gone there we go there we go um, anyway how good is that completely how... lost <laughs> that's the worst intro to an outro i think i've ever done <laughs> how good was that I just spoke my language i loved oh. it uh, it was so you never know because sometimes you get someone will come in with almost like the the secrets of exercise prescription the construction of an exercise program and your macros your microcycles stuff and going into your tapering there was absolutely none of it, but you could see that was almost a simple bit, mm. you know, and it's just like, yeah, I do that at the end, but you know, and I it's just like, wow, amazing. Yeah. And it's, it's really nice. Cause I think with a lot of well, exercise prescription on, I guess, any level, obviously it's a hugely important part of any coaching, but I think what sometimes people maybe miss is, is that the importance of that, coach athlete relationship and sometimes you can't necessarily define it or measure yeah. it or anything else like that but that's where I think real real you know change progress um mm. results come so it was I think she articulated that um especially well it was, what an um, inspiration to be the only female pro coach of that period that is just I like know. yeah it, it really something we you know is almost uncomprehendable to think of now mm. because it just seems like that's not the world we live in but it sadly probably still is and if know. i was gonna say if it wasn't really wasn't that long ago <laughs> and it's, and yeah, it's not like bex is 90 <laughs> sorry <Bex. No. laughs> not guessing your age or tracking out there but yeah i just yeah brilliant um i think yeah. superb well, so guys kick and... season five off to what what a level so no no pressure on um on, on who's up next That's... <laughs> God. <laughs> thankfully it's not us just yeah. talking away about going on a kayak for two miles an hour well... <laughs> <laughs>
No comments. <laughs> on that note. <laughs> on that note, we'll see you see on you the other side. Bye. Be the first to hear about our new episodes and find more information by following Exercise Right UK on Instagram, Facebook and Twitter.